This is Straight Ahead with the 606 Club of London and David Lewis. Hold your head as high as you can, high enough to see who you are, little man. Life sometimes is cold and cruel, maybe no one else will tell you, so remember that you are black gold, black gold. You are black gold. Now maybe no one else has ever told you so. But you're golden, baby, black.
you can High enough to see you High enough to see who you are Life sometimes is cold and cruel Maybe colder than us until you so remember that You are, you are, you are You are black gold You Welcome back to Straight Ahead, brought to you by London's leading music venue, the 606 Club of Chelsea. So, getting things going for us this week was Esperanza Sporting from her album Radio City, going back just a few years now, a track that featured Algebra Blessed along with Esperanza, and that was Black Gold. Our guest this week uh, on the show is not a musician, but rather a photographer. A fascinating interview is too, looking at the world of jazz through the eyes of a photographer. It was a real, real insight for me, and that's coming up just after 10.30. Plenty of wonderful music to come, of course, apart from our guest George, just like Alison Neal. Uh, American-born, UK-raised, and very much evokes a spirit of uh, the West Coast smooth kind of style of jazz with Paul Desmond and Art Pepper heavily influenced clearly. And this is the title track from her album going back to 2013, I Wished on the Moon. Thank you. 
subtle, cool elegance of Alice Neil, her title track from a recently released album, I Wished on the Moon. So we will be hearing music from the likes of Herbie Hancock, another track from the recently released Callum Owl album, Alicia Olatuju. And also we've got a tra- uh, covers, believe it or not, of a Prince song and a Michael Jackson song. That's all to come on the show this week. But next to play is trumpeter Quentin Collins. We had him on the show a few months ago. He released an album this year uh, called Road Warrior. It's available on, on vinyl as well. So check out his website or Bandcamp. It's well worth the purchase, I can promise you. And we're going to be listening to The Hill.
That was Quentin Collins' The Hill featuring Dan Nimmer on the keys and the rest of the lineup was Willie Jones III on drums and you had Joe Sanders on the bass and the saxes of Leo Richardson on tenor and Melina Gillard on the alto sax. So Gregory Porter's next album, All Rise, is due for release now finally on August the 28th. We've already had some great singles from the album such as Phoenix, all about the celebration of love. There was a beautiful heartfelt ballad if love is overrated and the gospel-infused lead single, Revival. Well, Blue Note have now released the next single, Mr Holland, which is essentially all about equality and a a young man asking uh, the father of his girlfriend for her hand. It's a wonderful, wonderful single and here it is, Mr Holland. Hello, Mr Holland And Rosie may come out and play She's a good girl now won't be no trouble, no how mm-hmm. By the way, Mr. Holland I like the way you made no trouble of my skin It's not a problem Nor has it ever been You invited me into your home Treated me like I was grown I was only 18 And Rosie was a beauty queen Hello, Mr. Holland Rosie may come out and play I'm a good boy now Won't be no trouble, no how By the way, Mr. Holland I like the way you treat me like a regular Joe I wanted a soda And you said Rosie could go home Anyway, I like your style Seem like I'll be around for a while We can talk about a country mile And listen to a blues record Check it out, oh Hello, Mr. Holland, and Rosie may come out and play. It's a good world now, won't be no trouble, no how. Mm. And by the way, Mr. Holland, I like the way you treat me like a regular bit. My name is not a problem, and oh, it never will. Anyway, I like your way. People ought to be able to play. And keep your soul as black as the night When you're walking straight into the light Sure enough, treat me right, Mr. 
So, a date for your diary, August the 28th. That's when All Rise, the next project from Gregory Porter, is due for release. Finally, it's been delayed a little bit this year because of all the various uh, issues with COVID and so on. But we have got a release date now, and that is the next single with a great social statement, Mr. Holland from Gregory Porter. So, we step back now to 1968, and it is time for Buddy's Bit. From the album, the new one, this is Diabolus.
Russell Iverson on the trumpet. That was Buddy Rich and the Orchestra from 1968. The album was the new one, and we just listened to Diabolus. And so we come round to our interview and photographer, George Nelson. It's a real fascinating insight into what it's like to work on the other side of the lens. And uh, George has also chosen a couple of tracks for us this week. We're going to start the interview off with a track from Wildflower and Where the Earth Meets the Sky. If you want to know what's happening at The Six, check out the website at 606club.co.uk. Thank you. 
Well, it's interview time once again on Straight Ahead, and I mentioned a little earlier in the show that we're deviating ever so slightly this week, and rather than sticking with musicians, we thought we'd bring in a photographer, a jazz photographer, and his name is George Nelson. George, hello. How are you, ma'am? I'm things? really good. I'm really good. And how are you keeping? Yeah, I mean, well enough. I've managed to keep my mind right in the last few last few months. And you've kept Things physically healthy? Probably physically healthier. I mean, when you're when you're indoors to this level, you you get very conscious about um physical mm. physical exercise. You know, I I've I've made a point of running and I hate running. So <laughs> I run that's a daily operation now. I'm in the best shape I've been and something for some some years. And something yeah. you probably keep up, you think? I hope so. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that would be a shame to, to lose all the momentum. So, yeah, yeah. So, oftentimes when I start these interviews, I talk to the musicians who, of course, had the rug pulled from under them back in March. Was the same true for you? To an extent. I mean, I'd been building up to this book project, which we're going to talk about. Mm, absolutely. And fortunately, I was able to launch it and give myself a few months to sell it before this rug was pulled from underneath all of us. Mm -hmm. So had, for example, had I launched the thing in April, that would be absolute financial chaos for me mm. because this is a self-published effort, self-funded effort. I did no... Um, um, so there's no publishing deals at all or no? No, totally my thing. And, I, and I'll explain why, because um, the, the publishing deal was, was, was an option, but um, totally went about it my way. And... Um, the 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 investment was 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 a big investment so it was very important that i have at least two months to sell enough copies to break even which is which is essentially what happened i launched it in january sold it for a couple of months and then it's been very tricky and that's the scenes thing. project that we'll talk about that's the scenes project that we'll that we'll talk about yeah which is so, so, uh, so yeah so, which obviously it's full of great jazz photography so without the guys up on stage performing you couldn't have done your work could you in essence yes i mean the work, I'd stopped taking pictures a good few months before launching it. I was editing mm -hmm. it for mm -hmm. some months. So in a way, the, the photographs are mainly 2018, first half of 2019. Mm -hmm. So no real risk of not doing that. It was more the issue of launching it mm -hmm. and to an audience that had the disposable income to invest that sort of money into a book, which is a fairly you know dying medium in mm -hmm. terms of mass of mass sales the rug was pulled underneath me though with um a residency that i was due to start at um, number 10 um the venue where i actually um, hosted my launch we for the launch night had five musicians mm -hmm. playing two different six musicians rather playing in two different groups two different trios which i curated for the night to play free improv 45 minute sets it was the first live gig they ever had in that venue mm. went so well that i'd been offered a residency which is due to start in april so i had some really interesting so that, lineups for april and may yeah. not only did they not happen obviously i don't quite know what shape um the venue are going to be in to Absolutely. open and commit to something like that so we, we'll come back to talking about your latest project but let's get to know about the the younger george i know you mentioned to me just before we started recording you're actually born in glasgow but moved to london at a very young age yeah yeah i mean glasgow is just a bit of writing on the birth certificate. Mm. I don't remember a thing about Glasgow. I didn't even live there. I just happened to be born there. So you are a Londoner through and through. No, I'm, I'm, my parents are Nigerian and I lived in the north of Nigeria, um, city called Kaduna 
from the age of one till the age of you know eight and a half mm-hmm. moved 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 here um and then yeah london for most of my life i had some time living in brazil has some time living in funny parts of England like Norwich. <laughs> Let's, Let's not make any comment about Norwich. Remove straight past <laughs> your yeah, you, you sound like you might not be a million miles away from Norwich. <laughs> so um, you came over to London as a, as a young lad and yeah. uh, was schooled around here. At what stage yeah. did, was music a part of your family's background? Was it in the house? Was it something you were exposed to? Yeah, there was enough of it. I'd say my uncle, my uncle um, who lived in Lagos, so a long way from Kaduna, mm-hmm. he was he was the big the big music person in our family, the big influence. Um, whenever I turn up at his place, I spend a lot of time just um, ransacking all those records. Not even to listen to initially; it's a visual thing, which maybe ties into um, what we're going to talk about. Where you ended up, yeah, but yeah. So, you know the album sleeves and all of those things. So as a kid, I taking those in. I have a visual memory, so I remember almost everything in his collection. I must have been about four, five, six for most of those visits. And then it's only much later where I start to make conscious decisions about what I want to hear. Mm-hmm. A lot of that comes from radio, mixtapes, which was a big thing of course, when I was yep. growing up. Yep. I, I made them, I received them. Um, I knew a lot of the guys who were playing jazz in London at that time, um, early 90s, mid 90s. Um, and hip hop and hip hop and jazz there was definitely some crossover then. Oh, without doubt. Now. Yeah. So, so yeah. when you were a young kid at school, let's talk, you know, through the teenage years, were you showing any musical uh, 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 application? Was that something you were pursuing? Were you playing any bands? I don't remember ha- having even the desire to want to be in a band. And that had nothing to do with, that had nothing to do with not loving music. I always liked music. Mm. But the idea of being in a band and... um creating music with the people the people I, I surrounded myself with it just it was never a thing for me i think my sister she had the clarinet lessons that was the investment my family made she's the she's the oldest there are four mm-hmm. of us right and if it was ever realistic we would all be able to have music lessons so she was the investment and from that point a part of me just kind of shut the options as in <laughs> i don't even want to think about what it would be like to play music because it's never going to be a serious option in this family. So from that point, I started to um, put my energies into other into other forms of creativity. So obviously an artistic person. And was photography beginning to be important to you by that point? Or was it more writing? We're going to talk about both elements of your career. But as I say, clearly you've got a, a, an artistic side to you, haven't you? So Yeah, I would say, um, like, like with all of these things, the, the, the way the way you discover them might have absolutely nothing to do with the reasons why you continue doing them. Mm -hmm. I first started taking pictures for a very simple reason. I hate my picture being taken. Right. And I worked out that if I could become really good at taking them, I would always be on the other side of the camera. So if you, if you look at our family pictures from a certain age, I'm no (laughs) longer with any of them. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I'm the one, I'm the one taking some. And then, Obviously, film is a big part of that. You know, whether the images are moving or not, to me, it's the same world. And I got very serious about film from a young age. And from that point, photography was always going to be an option. Mm-hmm. It was always going to be something that I put more of my energy into than perhaps any of the other um, creative 
creative um, routes. And drawing a parallel, as I might do on occasion through the interview this week, where I'm used to talking to musicians and yeah. how they develop their skills. And, you know, it can be the conservatoire route, but whatever, it's gigging. How does a young photographer begin to develop? How do you find your signature? How do you find your your sound, your scenery, your the way that you portray and create? I think that would depend on whether you studied it formally or not. I did not ever, not for, for at no point in my life, I studied photography, still photography formally. I have studied film formally. My degree was in English literature and cinema at Brunel. Mm-hmm. Um, but still photography is pure trial and error. It's picking up um, mashed up heavy cameras from car boot sales as a kid and getting the absolute most out of those bodies and then moving on to the next one to the next one. And when you get to a point of competency with um, SLR cameras where you've got X amount of goes at getting it right, it's an expensive habit. It puts you in a pretty strong position for, you know, digital transitions later on in life. I felt Mm -hmm. like... So if you learned it the hard way, then what's come later is making that a bit easier. You've done the groundwork. Yeah, I mean... For, for, for sure, it was something that I was always into um, in, a, in a fairly uncommon way amongst some friends of mine. I can only think of one other friend who from as young as, say, 17, 18, already had the idea that they would be into, you know, photography. Um, so, yeah, I think that's how, that's how I first got into it. And with a photographer, do you mm. view the world on a daily basis from a different perspective to people that are not photographers? I mean, would you be in a position in a club, in a street, in a park, and just see a scene, and, and do you begin framing it? Can you begin seeing a shot in there, even if you don't have your camera with you? Does your, is your mind hardwired in such a way that it's seeing things differently? That's such a difficult thing to say, simply because I've never seen the world through anybody else's eyes. So I, I have no idea yeah. whether, whether my kind of default way of processing visual information is corresponds to yours um for sure i i feel like i'm able to put together interesting compositions in my head mm-hmm. and realize them using the apparatus mm-hmm. that, that's my book for example i if you speak to anybody who who discussed this book with me before i even took the first picture or certainly before i started an edit I had a fairly clear idea of what the kind of narrative flow would be like, just the visual flow, mm-hmm. nothing to do with words that bring together chapters. It's a largely wordless book. Mm. It's a, it's, it's a visual. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a visual and having, having some of those aesthetics already imprinted in terms of just how I go about it from day to day. We've all got our kind of ethical code. There's some things that I wouldn't even allow myself to think about in in, in, in that way, you know, it's always been an issue for me, for example, to take pictures of homeless people. I would never do it. It's mm. not an option. So I don't even bother to think about how I would compose that thing for an audience to look at or sure. any such thoughts don't even cross my mind and take the protests. I've, you know, I had a, I've been to one of the protests so far already. Mm-hmm. You see, you see a whole bunch of things happening around you that are, photogenic in the in, in the sense that you're probably asking about but the very last thing i want to be doing is taking pictures of the protest that mm-hmm. is a very raw direct thing going on there mm-hmm. and i do not want to be barricaded from that experience through you know by a lens that's mm. just not how i want to look at it yeah no, sure i understand that so 
And I know the other side of your creative life is as a blogger. I mean, possibly you were better known originally as a writer rather than a photographer, and you've got a very popular a much-visited blog site, the, the Three-Sided Dreams. How did all yeah. that come about? The, where did the writing side of your life come from? Well, the writing side comes from just being an early reader and being an early reader, being quite imaginative of that, wanting to interpret things for myself. I, I actually used to write um, book adaptations of films when I was a kid, which is quite an odd thing to do. Mm. So not, not the other way around, but seeing films and thinking... At that point, maybe I didn't even realize that a lot of films were derived from books. So I probably thought that I was putting a flag up somewhere and doing something no one had ever done before. It's like, yes, let me write, <laughs> let me write a, a, a book version of Clash of the Titans. It's like, yeah, someone may have got there the other way. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it starts with all of that. And then much later on, it just comes from probably the same, the very same motivations that led to me doing this book is wanting to chronicle things around me. Um, my memory is good, but only if it's sort of honed or fed somehow. Like I need some kind of visual impetus to yeah. hold on to, yeah. to. And then my memory is unbelievable. Then I'll, I'll destroy anybody in a pub quiz, but I need to see stuff. Mm. I need to feel if, if I don't log things or I don't index things somehow, then they, 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 they can just disappear. And I've noticed, for example, a big difference um, since I stopped doing the project. Well, like my head was working in a very particular way and then sort of not anymore. You know? I was actually just going to say, leading on from what you were saying there, during lockdown then, have you found it harder to feel creative? Um, it coincides with what would have been a natural sort of downtime for me after spending that long working on the book. So again, it's difficult to know whether it's something to do with the particular lockdown situation, lacking that stimulation of conversation and, you know, just the reality of how you, how you navigate through the city um, or whether it is just, damn, I've been working on something for a while. I just need to rest my brain. Mm. Uh, it's, 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 it's slightly unclear, which is which, I mean, I, I, there's, there's been enough creativity. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, it was quite a big thing on the blog, which ran, in the last few months, Joe, who you talked about, um, Joe Harrop, yep, yeah, she she contributed to that amongst many other musicians. I approached several musicians and asked them to choose ten seconds of music that had an impact, had an influence. A Mount Rushmore ten seconds of music, one mm. that belongs in the pantheon. And a lot of them, you know, it was a good time to do it, of course, because, like you said, musicians. I'm gigging. I've got they're a job. Not no. doing, they're not doing a whole lot. So this was an idea that I probably had somewhere down the line. But, you know, I thought now's probably the time to do it. Let's do it. Now, that was more of a curating exercise from, from my own end because I come up with the idea. They write all the stuff. They choose the music. They mm. justify it all. Then I've got to kind of curate it into interesting set lists and mm. give some sort of narrative flow to their, to their choices. Mm -hmm. So that kind of creativity to me is... It comes from a very similar place to the creativity of coming up with your own concepts, which you execute and you market and you, it, it's, it's really similar side of my brain being used, but having the humility, I guess, to step back and recognize that practitioners of the music have a very rare insight that us as fans or listeners or record collectors will always lack just a little bit mm -hmm. if it's not our daily bread. Mm -hmm. And so there was something about reading that 
material that I I found really inspirational, really uplifting. And it's a series that I'd probably like to continue in a slightly altered format to the more kind of community format, which I had, where you would have, say, 18 tracks per episode chosen by 18 different musicians, which gave a sense of a creative um, um, uh, um, community project. I'd probably, yeah. go more, I'd probably go more down the Desert Island Discs route of maybe picking one musician and ask them to choose eight different 10 seconds yeah. so that it shows different parts of their personality. It shows the early influences. It shows their shower song. It shows their, you know. Yeah. Their, there the was way we all move about, through music. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So maybe I might, I might do that. But yeah, all of this stuff is interesting for me. To me, I don't separate this from from the, the the more kind of ego projects. And just mention yeah. that blog for us one more time so people can go and check it out. It's threesideddream.com. So the number three yep. and then sideddream all in words. So S-I-D-E-D-D-R-E-A-M.com. Okay. Um, yeah, it's popular enough. Nope, so. I'll go and take a look at that. So that brings us neatly around to your latest project scenes, which is how uh, I was first introduced to you. Uh, the aforementioned Joe Harrop said, oh, there's this wonderful photographer. He's got a lovely book out. I happen to be in it. You might want to catch up with him and have a word. So we mentioned that you began taking photographs and so on, probably back in 2018. How much, how long before that had, was this a, an idea? Was this a seed, this project in your mind? I'm somebody who doesn't really take cameras to gigs for some of the reasons I mentioned already. Like I want to be present. Immersed, yeah. For the immersed and present. There's there's a night called um, um, Accidental Power Cut, which you may have heard of, takes place in um, House of St. Barnabas. It's not a weekly or monthly thing. It's an every now and then seasonal thing. Mm -hmm. And um, no mobile phones, no anything. <laughs> it's almost candle lit. And it's very powerful, mm -hmm. no question. It also helps that they pick great music and the space is, it's in a sort of church area. It has a very similar feel to um, the crypt or church of sound. Um, and I guess I've always been striving for that in my gig experiences i rarely take cameras to gigs some venues just don't allow them so that makes it nice and easy mm -hmm. but i found like i was getting into far too many conversations about the scene is it changing um is something really special on the horizon is this just part of a pattern of we lose interest in jazz jazz has holds no appeal to the mainstream for a decade and then suddenly you know um interest is peaked and then ditched 10 years later. Is it part of that? Mm -hmm. There were so many different conversations we were having around it, around cultural appropriation, around um, um, American versus UK, around old versus young, um, swing beat versus Afro beat. I mean, all of this stuff was in every conversation. And with me, when, when, when I find that I'm talking about something a disproportionate amount of time than I probably ought to be, then I start to take pictures or I start to write about it. It's the only outlet. So then obviously, as you mentioned, a lot of clubs, you know, not particularly keen on photography. So presumably you would have had in mind a certain gig, a certain venue, a certain artist. You would have got in touch with the club maybe and said, can I come down and work tonight? And then you would have had a certain vision in mind what you were looking to achieve from that artist, from that gig, with that setting. Um, some of that, yeah. Some of that, not, not so much. So uh, of course, thinking about doing a book at the end of it, um, I knew that I would need clearance from the venues and the artists at some point. So better to get that clearance nice and early. Mm -hmm. If somebody had an issue with me taking pictures, I didn't need that to come up at the editing stage. So 
I was pretty good with that for the most part. The one once or twice that I wasn't, I later did get in touch. Um, the other part of your question was something to do with getting them in particular situations. That's the very part that I try to keep as pure as possible, which goes a long way towards answering why I decided to self-publish it rather than angle towards a publisher. Because one thing publishers are going to want to know from a pretty early stage, just as with film production, how does it end? Mm-hmm. Who's in it? Who's in it? What's the main thing? They basically want you to pitch it or at least have some kind of treatment, like a film style treatment for your book. Now, in my head, I had some kind of idea of the themes that I wanted to explore, but I was definitely open to how it would actually play out on the page. As in, I, I was gonna be, I was gonna react to the things that I saw. Mm. So I was not pitching up at gigs thinking, okay, I'm taking pictures of, I don't know, Sarah Tandy. Um, I'm gonna put the camera here to really make a point of emphasizing Sarah's relationship to, no, 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 it's it more, I was gonna go to the gig, the, let the music lead me, let the actual experience lead me and let it do that 140 times for 140 different gigs. And then I'm going to start editing a book at the end of it. So when we see the pictures in the book, it's very much the music that was driving you through those experiences. I think, I think, yeah. Because obviously you're a music lover at the end of the day, aren't you? You're just... I'm a music... Yeah, I'm I'm a music lover. When I say the music, not literally just the notes being played, but the whole ambience around around that. Mm. There's a huge difference between turning up at a gig where it's standing room only to turning up at a gig where they are playing their hearts out for three people in an audience. And there are examples of both of those in the book. Mm. And and at the end of it all, you piece it together in the most honest way that, that most accurately depicts what you saw. So I the structure I went for with the book was a structure that kind of mirrors an album, um, different compositions, each chapter representing a different composition some of them quite freeform, which maybe has something, says something about the music being played. Others much more on on beat, so mm-hmm, to speak. Mm-hmm. And actually the chapters are held together by um, drummers, bursts of four. So if you imagine a landscape page split in four mm-hmm. with four pictures of the same drummer taken four or five seconds apart so that the drummer's motion is captured that's what drives the book. The drummers are essentially the timekeeping. They're timekeeping the book. They have a similar function in the book than their traditional, I stress, traditional function within the music. Is mm-hmm. that still their function now? It depends on what kind of jazz you listen to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when uh, when an artist, uh, in that case, I was meaning a musician, is say putting together an album project, the, the order of the, the numbers is critical. And how do you decide, when you look back at this year and a half's worth of taking images, how do you decide on the natural flow? Because there's a narrative to it. It's no happenstance or, or luck that these pages fall in that order. How does that correlate in your mind? For sure. Um, I always had the first chapter in mind before taking any pictures. It's the only thing that, it's the only decision that slightly contradicts my point about being led by the music. Mm-hmm. Only because... I wanted the very first chapter to lay out the themes that were going to be explored later on. And I had the idea of doing it through transit, through journeys. So traveling with musicians and then choosing certain images from those journeys that best represent two very different sides of the music scene. 
So I always had in mind that at some point I need to travel with some of the younger guys. Let's just see how they move. What's mm-hmm. their motion like? Yeah. And then some of the old timers, not necessarily old in, in, in life years, but perhaps just more traditional. More established. In their, or... in, in, their, in, in, in how they, not even more established. I would say just more, um, they're, they're carrying on with, with a particular lineage of the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, in an in, in aesthetic as well with the music and maybe a younger generation that a bit less precious about that, but more concerned with the principle of jazz rather than the aesthetic or the literal sound of it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So two separate journeys. Now, what I could not have predicted is that the two journeys would come up with pretty much exactly what you would want to, what you would want to happen, bearing in mind the themes that you're going to explore. Um, the car broke down in one of them, which ended up with musicians pushing a car uphill. I mean, as symbolism goes for um, a traditional form of jazz that might be struggling to keep its head above water, as brilliant as the musicians are, that's not bad symbolism, yeah? And there was a whole thing around that, a whole whole rigmarole around that that I managed to capture with the camera. I mean, I was... The worst sort of alpha male on that occasion. I really should have been pushing. Pushing. I should, I'm a I'm a big guy, you know. Like I I I should have been pushing, but I was I was clicking. Um, and then with the younger lot, um, they were off to do a gig in Oxfordshire. So it was going to be the only time that I was going to leave London in the entire project. Oh, right? most of it was all London based then. It's all London. Yeah, it was absolutely London scene. But they were playing a gig in 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 in, um, in Oxfordshire. It's Cassie Kenoshi's group, um, Seed Ensemble who've been nominated for a Mercury Prize last year. They're, they're a huge thing. Um, and it was just an amazing contrast how they traveled. Um, um, Ryo Kai, the bass player, the double bass player, very economical in how he moves his double bass down high streets. He stands on one of these sort of hoverboard things with <laughs> one wheel and just goes <laughs> flying down high streets. So he looked like something out of Back to the Future 2. So I've got this Back to the Future 2 contrast with like what looks like the American West. It's a great thing to lay out, you know, perhaps some more sort of subtle themes that come up later on in the book. And and I could never have, I could never have scripted anything that good. This whole sort of truth is stranger than fiction, never better illustrated than, than in that. I only went on two journeys. I didn't go on 20 and choose the best two. I went on two and they gave me exactly what? Perfect examples, yeah. Perfect examples. So you mentioned when we were talking earlier on that the book was published earlier this year, self-published. That was at the very beginning of this year then, I'll take it, yeah? Yeah, that's right. January, sort of late January. And the best place for people to buy the book, seems, would be via your website? It sells in quite a few places. Obviously, most of these places have been in lockdown. So unless their online options were available... So I don't know, Burley Fisher, for example, um, bookstore mm-hmm. in Dalston. Cafe Otto, people will know for the, the venue. Yeah, um, yeah, of course. And the, and the good coffee, they do good coffee. But, but they also have an interesting selection of books. And um, they, they, they regularly order my book. It sells there well. The, the venue is well represented in the book. So they have some investment also perhaps in pushing it on some of their, um, their, their social media. I, 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 buying it directly for me, obviously can be more lucrative for me, but there, there's so many options. It sells a lot of record stores. So um, um, th- this number 10 venue that I spoke about mm-hmm. was 
kind of a converted old cinema, but the front of it is um, the BBE store, the barely breaking even record store. Oh, yep, yep. Um, it sells there. Um, it sells in, in quite a few places now. So, and uh, what would be next in uh, Mr. Nelson's view? What do you think is coming up for you? What's on horizon? I want to, I, li- I do tend to leave a bit of a gap in between books, but um, I, I meanwhile tick along with my blog. And of course, I'll be looking to, to this residency um, reopening or opening as it should have done in April. I had some interesting lineups. I, don't, I may as well call out some of these guys because yeah, they're, please do. or shout out rather, call out is the opposite of shout out, isn't it? They haven't done anything wrong. <laughs> why, am I calling, why am I calling them out? Um, they're good folks. So I, I think I had um, a trio and a, and a duo. So the duo was going to be Heidi Vogel yes. from... Brilliant vocalist, cinematic yep. orchestra vocalist. She was going to be playing duo with Larry Bartley. You know, Larry's a London legend. Um, I was really looking forward to hearing what kind of music those two were going to put down. And then the trio was due to be um, Neville Malcolm, Level Neville, absolute legend on the London scene, bass player, um, playing with Johanna Bernhardt, somebody who... That's a new name to me. I, I, I yeah, and, and but but it wouldn't be a, it would be a name that you're very familiar we'll with in a couple of years yeah her, her debut her debut album with her as a lead is due out in october mm-hmm. i've been spending a bit of time listening to it and doing with her what you're doing with me now interviewing her mm-hmm. for her album so just talking about the book a little bit further i mean it's a beautiful design and layout and i think you were responsible for all of the editing but were there any other collaborators that helped you with the design and layout of that beautiful beautiful book scenes yeah, well, I mean, thanks first of all for the compliment. Um, oh, it's beautiful. It's not. It's well. It, it it felt it felt good from the beginning. That's important for me. It just felt good. The weight of it felt right in my hands. Then, of course, you pay special attention to the the finish mm. and the design. The design was always incredible, pretty much from the beginning. Charlotte Mann, a good friend of mine from some years back, um, somebody that I will always insult when it comes to making um, those sorts of decisions. But on this occasion, I thought, actually, I think it's right that she just does the cover. I wasn't interested in having a photograph on the front cover. I I quite like that people pick up the book with no expectations. That cover is ambiguous enough Mm -hmm. that the book could be absolutely anything. Mm -hmm. Yet by the time you finish reading the book, the front cover makes sense. It it seems to represent something of the, Mm. the flow and the this sort of labyrinth quality of the scene. Yeah. And um, Charlotte did an amazing job. She read, she, I was going to say she read my mind. She was, she was way ahead of my mind. She, she, she saw, she had a vision for the book front cover that I, I hadn't, I hadn't arrived at yet. And she did that's, the, that's the talent, isn't it? When somebody's in, can understand your creative mind and you work that synergy that works together, comes through on a project like this. Yeah. And, and as you correctly say, the, 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 one of the main essence of a book is its tactility. That's where print and the physical book still wins yeah. out over any digital experience. Mm-hmm. And that's the famous coffee table book idea, isn't it? You pick it up, you sit down, you enjoy it, you look at it over a glass of wine, there's the smell of print. It all comes together, it all works. Exactly. And it was one of those books that, because of the size of it, it was much bigger than previous projects I'd worked on. I, I had a little concern that it would outstay its welcome. And I think one of the best ways to ensure that it doesn't is if it just feels good mm-hmm. in somebody's hands. And um, I think that's a big reason why people are prepared to go through some of these visual concepts and, you know, the relative, the relative ambiguity that holds it all together initially before the payoff at the end. And, you know, there is 
without wanting to spoil it, some some kind of payoff in the last chapter. So yeah, no, it's it's worked hand over fist. You can tell the quality, and it's you know people are going to enjoy just having it in their hands, and uh, yeah. sooner they can get a look at it, the better. Yeah, the design of it is gorgeous, though. So, well, yeah, I'm very grateful to Charlotte for that. She did an incredible job. So there's plenty on the horizon to look forward to then, and hopefully those gigs are going to be coming along soon. And uh, if you go over to georgenelsonphotography.com, you can get an idea and a flavour of the book there and his other projects as well. And don't forget to check out the blog as well, threesideddream.com, which is going to be something I'm going to be taking a look at for sure. It's been wonderful catching up with somebody not as a musician. It's been a great insight. So I can only thank you for your time this evening with us. It's been wonderful getting into the idea. I have creativity of all sorts and speaking to a photographer has just been a, you know, a whole new dimension. So I hope it's not the last time that we speak. Thanks, man. It was good to be on. Good it's to be on. Fantastic. So don't forget, go visit his website, georgenelsonphotography.com. And uh, here's to gigs and here's to more work, eh? <laughs> Thanks, man. Cheers, George. Thanks for your time. Thanks. Thank you.
finishing off the interview there with another one of George's choices. That was Liam Noble's Pink Mice. And uh, it's the first time I've had a non-musician on Straight Ahead, but it was wonderful. Really enjoyed uh, chatting to George and just getting behind the man for a, a short while there. And a very creative man, as you can tell. If you go over to his website, George Nelson Photography. Dot com. You can find the details of how to buy that book, Scenes. It's a beautifully, beautifully produced book and uh, going to be a wonderful present for somebody, actually. Christmas, not all that far away. Great book. And George, many thanks indeed for your time. So we've got something classic from Herbie Hancock coming up. And uh, after that, I'm going to be talking to you about 606 Live, where you can watch some live streams from the club. But first of all, as I mentioned, some Herbie Hancock from 65, the title track from his Maiden Voyage album, which features Ron Carter on the bass. Anthony Williams is on the drums. George Coleman Tenor, and of course we've got Freddie, who is guesting on that particular lineup on the trumpet.
greats, of course, Herbie Hancock there, and we mentioned it featured Freddie Hubbard on the trumpet from 1965, the title track from the Maiden Voyage album. So, live streaming from the club, what's it all about and how do you get involved? Well, it couldn't be easy. With the club still obviously shut down for the time being, Steve and everyone at the club has been super busy in creating a live session every weekend, Fridays and Saturdays from 8 o'clock. It's very, very simple. If you go over to 606club.co.uk, all you need to do is create yourself an account, which is free to do, and then look out for the uh, email that you'll get each week and telling you who's coming up at the club. For instance, this weekend on Friday, you've got Wild Card featuring Luna Cohen. And then on Saturday, again, from 8 o'clock, you've got the Paul Booth Quartet. It's really, really great. And the uh, quality of the audio and the picture is stunning. It's kind of almost cinema quality. I have to say it's really, really good what they've created in such a short spell of time. So go over to 606club.co.uk and uh, look out every weekend which great acts are coming up there. So a few weeks ago, we had Callum Al on talking about that wonderful album, uh, Songs and Stories, which was released last Friday, finally. It became into the public domain. You can get it as a digital download, you can get it as a CD, and also you can get it as vinyl, which is glorious because it's a 75, 80-piece orchestra on there, and it's going to sound wonderful. This is a track from that album called Pure Imagination. Thank you. 
anything you want do it want to change the world there's nothing to it. there is no Gorgeous voice of Claire Martin, and that was on Callum Owl's album that was released just last week, Songs and Stories. And as I say, if you go to his website, callumowlmusic.com, you can uh, bag yourself a copy of it there on CD or on vinyl. Still got some lovely, lovely music to come this week. As I mentioned, we've got a couple of covers coming up, actually, of a, of a Prince song and of a Michael Jackson song as well. But that's all to come. First of all, our next to play on the show this week is something from Alicia Olatuja. This is Straight Ahead with the 606 Club of London and David Lewis. Se o Senhor me for louvado, eu vou voltar pro meu cerrado. Por ali ficou que tempero o meu amor. E se meu em mim essa incrível saudade. Se é por vontade de Deus, vale, vale. Se o Senhor me for louvado, eu vou voltar pro meu cerrado. Por ali ficou quem tempero o meu amor Esse meio em mim essa incrível saudade Se é por vontade de Deus, vai Vai Se pedir a Deus pelo meu prazer Não for pecado Vou rezar pra quando eu voltar a rever Todas as brincadeiras do passado Corteja meu cerrado Em dia feriado Viva cordão azul encarnado E eu sei Serei feliz de novo Meu povo deixou chorar Eu vou voltar pro meu cerrado Por ali ficou quem temperou o meu amor Esse meio em mim essa incrível saudade Se é por vontade de Deus, vale Se pedir a Deus pelo meu prazer Não vou pecado 
Essa pra quando eu vou dar Todas as brincadeiras do passado Corteja mesmo cerrado Em dia vereado Viva cordão azul encarnado E eu sei Serei feliz de novo Meu povo deixou chorar That's an album that I've not listened to in a very long time, Alicia Olatuja. The album is called Timeless, going back to 2014. It's probably been a good three or four years since I've dug the album out of the collection, but I gave it a listen recently and found that little gem that I've forgotten to play on the radio in a very long time. It featured Christian McBride on bass, and the track we just listened to was called Serrado. Just going back to our guest, George, don't forget also to check out his blog site, which is 3 dash sideddream.com it's fascinating and what will happen is you'll find all these little 10 seconds that he was talking about and they links you through to uh, youtube and you can watch the way that he's curated them and, put, and compiled them really really interesting give him a follow on there if you love your jazz it's a real interesting site to look at and that's three sideddreamcom now what seems a very long time ago back in january we had rachel sutton on the show she was due to have an album launch down at the six until everything got kind of a little bit sidetracked the album is called a million conversations and and there's a track that I thought would play on the show this week. It's all about, well, she lost her mum and this was all about the conversations that she just wished she could have had with her mum. Thank you. 
million times We'd sit in old wine chairs and talk the night away We'd speak of love and raise a glass of wine Where the living cannot go He tells me where you are And gives me comfort He tells me that you're happy He tells me that you're free A million conversations since you left me With a photograph I put upon my wall Oh, a million conversations since you left this world And every single one upon my You could see my baby grow Into the green I'd go With a spirit of her own I'd love to watch you play And hear you talking On the beaches, on the mountains Through the country that you love A million conversations since you left me With a photograph I put upon my wall A million conversations since you left this world And every single one upon my own
Gorgeous, A Million Conversations from Rachel Sutton. And I've been saying on the show during the course of the last couple of hours, we've got some covers coming up. And the first of those is next from an artist called Marcin Veselewski. Back in 2008, he released an album called January. And on there, there's a great cover, a beautiful cover indeed, of a Prince song called Diamonds and Pearls.
Absolutely adore what Marcin Vasilewski's done with that. Diamonds and Pearls, of course, the Prince original, but that is just beautiful. And as I say, we've still got one more cover to come before the end of the show, a Michael Jackson cover, and that's not uh, too far away. Another artist that I'm very privileged to have seen perform, and it was down at the six actually, is Eileen Hunter. She released a self-titled album a few years back, and there's one track on there that always stands out for me called Now and Then.
Eileen Hunter now and then gets me every time a beautiful beautiful track our guest next week by the way is going to be composer educator and pianist Paul Edis so if you tune in next week you'll hear me chatting with Paul who wanted him on the show for a very very long time so to Stefan Harris a young vibraphonist and percussionist who was going to pursue his musical career as part of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra until until that is he heard Charlie Parker and that changed his musical direction forever and he pursued jazz and this is the other cover that I've been telling you I was going to play from his latest album on Blue Notes from 2018 called Sonic Creed this is his cover of Gone Too Soon
take on Michael Jackson's Gone Too Soon. Many thanks indeed for your company this week. We'll be back at the same time next week, as I mentioned, with Paul Edis as my guest. And as we're finishing off with some rather beautiful music, I thought what better way to finish off than with a track from Joe Harrop and Jamie McCready's recently released album, Weathering the Storm. And still possibly my favourite track on there is If. I'll see you next week. If a picture paints a thousand words Then why can't I paint you? Words will never show The youth I've come to know If a face could launch a thousand ships Then where am I to go? There's no one home but you You're all that's left me to And when my love for life is running dry You go and pour yourself on me If a girl could be to places At one time I would be with you Tomorrow and today Beside you all the way If the world should stop revolving Spinning slowly down to die I'd spend the end with you Go out.